One of the coolest things I get to thank my pastor for is that he taught me how to fish. Do we have any fishers in the house? He taught me how to fish. I love fishing. It was at a minister's retreat. It was the first time I got to fish, actually. And it was a really cool experience because I've never gone before, and they're telling me all this stuff. And so I had to go to Walmart, and I got me some rubber boots because, you know, they said it's going to be wet. So, you know, I look really cool in my rubber boots. They said you need some, I forgot what they called them, some kind of glasses that block some kind of light, like solar something light. I can't even see my iPad, so God knows I'm not going to be preaching tonight. And I had my hat on, and I got my fishing rod because Brother John's taught me how to fish. And we went on the minister's retreat. Actually, that night at the hotel, we stayed up for about an hour outside, and we was just casting. I would cast now, but I'm scared I might hit somebody or that I might not reel it in good enough and embarrass him. And he's like, oh, I didn't teach him. Someone else did him. It was probably Brother Joel or something. So I won't cast right now, but I love being able to fish. It's such a fun thing. And there was one time a group who called themselves fishermen. And lo, there were many fish in the waters all around. In fact, the whole sea was surrounded by streams and lake filled with fish. And the fish were hungry. It wasn't a full moon where they're kind of acting weird and sinking to the bottom. It wasn't cold and then hot, but they were hungry and they were biting. Week after week. Month after month and year after year, these who call themselves fishermen met in meetings and talked about their call to go fishing. Continually, they searched for new and better methods of fishing and for new and better definitions of fishing. They sponsored costly nationwide and worldwide congresses to discuss fishing and to promote fishing and to hear all about the different ways of fishing. Someone say fishing such as new fishing equipment or fish calls or whether any new bait was discovered, what worked, what didn't work, different species. These fishermen built large, beautiful buildings called fishing headquarters. The plea was that everyone should be a fisherman and every fisherman should fish. One thing they did not do, however, they didn't fish. All the fishermen seemed to agree that what is needed is a board which could challenge fishermen to be faithful in fishing. The board was formed by those who had the great vision and courage to speak about fishing, to define fishing and to promote the idea of fishing in a faraway stream and lakes where many other fish of different breeds lived. Large, elaborate, expensive training centers were built whose purpose was to teach fishermen how to fish. And those who taught there had degrees in fishology, but they didn't fish. Some spent a lot of time in study and travel to learn the history of fishing and to see faraway places where the founding fathers did great fishing in centuries past. They talked about all the fishing stores where they didn't have to hold the fish out to make it look bigger, but they could hold it here, and it was gigantic. They lauded the faithful fishermen of years before who handed down the idea of fishing but never told their favorite's fishing spot. Many who felt the call to be fishermen responded. They were commissioned and sent to fish. And they went off to foreign land. Now it's true, a lot of them sacrificed and gave up so much so that they could go to far far away waters. Some even lived near the waters and bore the smell of dead fish every day. They received ridicule of some who made fun of their fishermen's clubs. Why would anyone not want to be a fisherman? Fishing is so much fun. I love fishing. Some gave up their entire lives to become fishermen. They had all the gear. They, they looked the part. It was all the name brand. But they didn't fish. Hopefully this doesn't break your uh, piano. I was about to call it a guitar. That's how unmusical I am. But they still didn't fish. Some even smelled the part. 
but they didn't fish. Imagine how hurt some of them were when one day a person suggested that those who don't catch fish aren't really fishermen. Imagine what they felt like and all their gear and all their talk and all the money that they spent on fishing when someone one day told them, if you do not go fishing, if you don't actually catch fish, then you are not a fisherman. In Matthew 4.19, Jesus tells his disciples that I will make you fishers of men. And in Luke 10.2, he said the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray you the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. I've come to proclaim tonight that there is a fish, there is a sea full of fish. There are fish all around and they are hungry. But where are the fishermen? Where are the people that are not just going to talk the talk, but they're going to walk the walk? Where are the people that are not just going to wear the gear and hold their Bible around and have a great church service in here? But it's time to go fishing. Someone say it's time to go fishing. And you men don't run out now and think I'm talking about physical fishing. I'm talking about spiritual fishing because there's people that are on their way to hell and they're depending on us to go out there and win them to Christ. They're depending on us to make disciples of all creatures. They're depending on us to go, to go, to go. Sadly, this is a state of many churches. There are churches that talk about fishing, that build great buildings all week. They prepare to go fishing. But they don't actually go. They get gear and attend seminars. They buy books and do all kind of stuff to learn how to fish. But they never go fishing. That might be some other churches. But that is not Atlanta West Pentecostal Church. Because our mission is to lead people into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. And develop them to become fully devoted followers of him. And we all all a part of that mission. We will reach And we will teach because it's time to go fishing. Someone say it's time to go fishing. That is our God given mission. Jesus is talking to a group who raised on fish and that's how they had their livelihood. That was their careers. And so when he says you are now a fisher of men, they completely understood what that meant. That is their everyday goal. That's not just something they do on a Saturday for fun, but that is their whole entire life. It must be everything that they are. It is their identity. They don't just talk about fishing. They don't just look like fishermen. They don't even just get on a boat and act like they're fishing. They truly go and catch fish. That's why Jesus wrote in 1 Peter 2, 9, you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who's called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Matthew said it this way, you are a light of the world, a city that is set on a hill that cannot be hid, nor do they light a lamp under and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that you may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Mark said it this way, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. There is enough talk about fishing, there is enough seminars, and there is enough books, but tonight we have to make up in our mind, enough is enough. It's time to go fishing. I'm not waiting for next Sunday. I'm not waiting for the evangelism pastor. I'm not waiting for a guest to come here. Whether it's at my house, whether it's at Starbucks, whether it's at a restaurant, I don't care where it is. It is time to go fishing. I'm not just going to wear the clothes and smell like fish. I am going to go win a disciple. Why is it time to go fishing, though? 
Sounds great. You looked cool. It has cool props. And you, you got my attention, brother DJ. But why is it time to go fishing? The answer is very simple because people are on their way to hell and they will be lost for eternity. And I can't wake up every single day and I can't go to sleep at night thinking about the here and the now. And man, I enjoy sports and I enjoy all this stuff. But one day all this is going to pass away. And the only thing I can take to heaven is souls. I can't take my money. I can't take my education. All that is important. But the only thing when I get to heaven is souls. The only thing is going to be, did I win souls and make disciples or did I focus on the here and the now? Did I have an eternal mindset or did I have a temporal mindset? Did I look for that place or am I worried about this place? The older generation lived every single day with an expectancy and anticipation that today could be the day that Jesus Christ comes back. It changed the way they lived. It changed the way they had church. It changed everything about them because today could be the day that Jesus Christ decides to come back. And that is still true today. Jesus is coming and no man knows the time nor the hour. So we must always be eager. We must always work hard because it's time to go fishing because I don't know when Jesus Christ is coming back, but I know my neighbor is not going with him. So I got to do whatever it takes to go fishing because I want my neighbor. I want my family. I want my friend to go to heaven with me. That must be our call to arms is that people are on their way to hell and they will be lost forever. And God has commanded you and me to go and win souls and make disciples because it's time to go fishing. Look to your neighbor and say it's time to go fishing. Charles Spurgeon said it like this. If sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. If they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped around their knees. If hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our efforts and let no one go unwarned and no one go unprayed for because it's time to fish. I don't want to just be called a fisherman. I want to go fishing and catch fish. No man in their respective way wants to go out to the lake early in the morning and wake up at 5 a.m. to drive out there and push the boat out there and buy the bait and get all dressed up and go out there and just cast and then reel. And cast and reel. And cast and reel. And after a couple times, well, that was cool. Let's go back. No man does that. People will stay out there on the lake or on that creek for hours hoping to fish. When Brother Joel and Brother Zach and I went to GDYD in the wilderness, we literally all day tried to catch fish. All of us caught a fish about just one fish, all of us together. That was about the size of my palm. And us three haven't eaten for two days. And so we're like destroying. It was gourmet. It was incredible. No one likes that experience. No one likes to go fishing and not to catch anything. So what we must do is we must always develop better methods, always look for bait and climate control. Just like in real fishing, we must always figure out better ways to make disciples and to win souls. But none of that does any good if we don't go fishing. If if I just talk to you guys about fishing and doing all that stuff, but I don't do it, I'm never going to catch a fish. We can't claim to be disciples of Jesus if we aren't making disciples ourselves. So what is a disciple? Jesus's words in Matthew 28, 19 through 20 communicate vividly his definition of a disciple. He saw a disciple as one who becomes a follower, who is taught, who is nurtured in faith. So a disciple is someone who is a follower, who is taught, who is nurtured in faith, and who in turn goes out to make more disciples. The 12 disciples didn't just sit there and say, oh, I follow Jesus. That's wonderful. Let's just break bread and all this stuff. No, they were commissioned two by two, all 70, to go out and go and make more disciples. 
So Jesus' definition of a disciple is someone who goes and makes more disciples. A disciple has these six attributes. They are a believer. They are born again. They are a follower. They are a learner. They are a witness. And they are a reproducer. So many times we leave that last one out, the reproducer. We're fine that we're inside of the boat of Noah, but we don't really want to tell other people that, hey, it's going to rain one day, so you might want to get in the boat too. We're fine with having all the gear, but we don't want to go out and fish. Why do you think I ate peas and hamburger meat and rice today? Because I want to be like Brother John's. He's reproducing himself in me, and hopefully I can be half the man that he is one day. He's an incredible man. That is a reproducer. That is what a disciple is. I love Dylan Robinson. He's a great guy. Why do you think I spend time with him? Why do you think I walk the altars with him and talk to him and sit next to him and we talk about different questions he has when he's talking about the Bible to his friends? Why? Not because I want him to be like me. I want him to be the best that he can be for God. But in order for me to do that, I have to reproduce the good in me and him. What good is it if I come and sit there and I worship and I get everything out of God, but I don't pour myself in anybody else? I must leave a legacy. And it's not just in my immediate family, but I must leave a legacy. I must make disciples because it's time. To go fishing. In Luke chapter 10, we find the story of the Good Samaritan. Verse 25, a lawyer, which is an expert in the Mosaic law, confronted Jesus asking, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus responded asking, well, what what do you think? What do you think from the word of God? Verse 27, so he answered, the lawyer said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And your neighbor as yourself. Yeah, I I told Jesus I got the right answer. Jesus told him that he was correct. But the lawyer realized that he hasn't been fulfilling this commandment when Jesus told him to do this and you will live. Jesus says, you're correct. Now do it and you'll have eternal life. Verse 29, he wanted to justify himself because he realized he wasn't really loving his neighbor as himself and said, well, who is my neighbor? I'm I'm nice to all the Pharisees. I'm nice to all the lawyer guys, but I really don't care about other people. So Jesus goes into this parable about the Good Samaritan, about this man who was traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked, robbed and left for dead. A priest was traveling down the same road and saw this man lying there dying. The priest crossed the road and continued on his journey. He saw that the man was hurt. He saw that the man had a need, but, you know, he has somewhere to go. He's a priest. He Can't really get himself dirty, so he continued to walk and just crossed the road and kept going. Then a Levite came, and a Levite's going on the same journey, and he sees this man lying there in a pool of blood, and he sees him dying and beaten and grasping for air, and instead of doing anything, the Levite looks at him, goes along his journey on the other side of the road. But then a Samaritan saw him dying. Samaritan had compassion on him while he was journeying. He wounded, he, he bound up his wounds and he helped heal him and brought him to this inn and he paid the innkeeper two days wages and said, hey, take care of him. And if he, if he uses more money than what I've given you, I will come back and pay it. But do whatever it takes, bring him back to 100%. Put him on his own animal and he walked. Instead of riding on the donkey, the Samaritan decided to walk. He paid the price. He sacrificed for this guy that was dying. And I'll ask you, just like Jesus asked that lawyer in verse 36. So which of these three, the priest, the Levite, or the Samaritan, was this man's neighbor? The Samaritan. 
the Samaritan. One translation proclaims when Jesus said this, which one proves to be a neighbor? Not just says it. Which one actually does it? In verse 37, Jesus told them, go and do likewise. David Reaver said, neighboring is an attitude and it's not about proximity. It's not about who is next to me. It's an attitude that if there is a need, God has called me to reach that person's need. We're not talking about financial needs right now. We're not talking about family issues right now. What we're talking about is there is a need in this world for Jesus Christ. This world is crazy and people are on their way to hell for eternity. And we must get serious about it because it's time to go fishing. There is a need and there is people in your lives and in my life that are laying on the side of the road and we're just walking. Oh, well, I'm on my way to heaven. I'm on the straight and narrow. I know you need help. I know you're broken. I know you're taking drugs because you're just trying to fill the void in your heart. I know your family is destroyed, but I'm going to leave you there dying. And I'm going to go to heaven myself. Who is my neighbor? Anybody who is in need is our neighbor because they need Jesus. Jesus is the answer for the world today. And we have that answer. Why would we not want to share it? Every day I have to think to myself, if I was in their shoes, would I want someone to share the gospel with me? My answer is always yes. So then why do I think myself any different and why do I not share the gospel? Yes, it can be uncomfortable at times. Yes, they can ask questions that make no sense. And I don't even know where to start to explain to them from the word of God what they're even asking. They come up with some weird stuff like they're reading Fruit Loop boxes and the Bible and making a question out of it. And during a Bible study, I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. And yes, sometimes they're weird and sometimes they have crazy backgrounds and sometimes they're sitting there talking. And all of a sudden they cry and they're not listening. Sometimes they're just hard headed and tradition is just all they want to care about. But it doesn't matter. They have a need and God has called me to be salt and light to the world. Because it's time to go fishing. We must clearly understand the concept of who is my neighbor. Oikos is the Greek word for household. And in the Greco-Roman culture, oikos not only described the immediate family in the house, but it included the servants, the servants' families, friends, and even business associates. And oikos was one sphere of influence. Oh, y'all about to, y'all, some of y'all caught that. Sphere of influence. His or her social system Composed of those related to each other through ties of kinship, tasks, and territories. Who is in your circle? Who is in your oikos? In Mark 5.19, Jesus said to the demon-possessed man, go to your, what is that next word? Friends. Go to your friends. Go to your home, your oikos, and tell them the wonderful things God has done for you. He said, go to the people in your circle and tell them what Jesus has done for you. In John 1.45 Philip found Nathanael under the fig tree because Nathanael was in Philip's oikos. In Acts 10, 24, now Cornelius was waiting for them. He was waiting for Peter and some of them to come and preach and had called them together to his relatives and close friends, to his oikos, to the people in his circle. I appreciate Brother Jimmy Duncan for helping us have that tagline of who is in your circle when we was creating Donut Day. Because whoever is in your circle is your neighbor. And whoever is in your circle that is in need of a Savior, which is Jesus Christ, you are obligated, you are commanded, you are urged. And this preacher begs you tonight to go fishing. It's time to go fishing. Well, why? 
Acts 10, verse 44 through 46. While Peter was still speaking these words to the oikos of Cornelius, the Holy Spirit fell on them upon all those who heard the word and those of the circumcision, the Jews who believed were astonished as many as came with Peter because the gift of the Holy Spirit has also been poured out on the Gentiles. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then Peter answered, Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized who has received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. If we can get a hold of that, who is in your circle, then they can repent of their sins. They can be baptized in Jesus' name and they will receive the gift of the Holy Ghost for the promise is for them. But the only thing that is going to make it happen is if we get our fishing boots on, if we put our hat on, if we go out on the boat and it's time to go fishing, if we actually go fishing, if we don't talk about it, if we don't just come to church on a Sunday and a Wednesday, but every single one of us, it's time to go fishing because your oikos depends on you. I don't know all your family. I don't know all your friends. I don't know who you work with. I don't know the gas station that you get gas at. I don't eat at that restaurant necessarily that you eat at all the time. But you do. And if those people are in need, spiritually, and they're laying on the side of the road dying, are you going to be that priest that's just too good? That Levite that sees it and just turns his head and walks on the other side of the street? Are you going to be like that Samaritan? No, you are in my circle. And I want to see you get to heaven. Just like I am. Who is in your circle? Well, it's time to go fishing. It's time to lead them into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ and develop them to be devote followers of him. It's time to invest in relationships. It's time to intercede in prayer and invite to church. We must invest in people. We must invest in our oikos. We must intercede in prayer sincerely for their souls because their souls hang on the balance like elders say. And we must invite them to church so they can become disciples. So it's time to go fishing. Well, what is the bait? What's the bait? What, what do we do to win them, DJ? What do we say? Where do we go? What is the bait? See, you throw the, the bait in the water and the fish sees it. It has, whether it's a crawfish or, you know, whatever, all the other stuff Brother John says, I just let Brother Joel hook it up and then I throw it and bring something in. I don't know all the big old names. I can make up a bunch of junk. The dingle hopper and the bing bong and the woo woo. Yeah, I got those too. Uh-huh, you get those at Walmart real good. See, Brother John's was smart. He did all the research. I, no, I just, the dingle hopper, that's what it is, the one that goes, and then the fish bites it, you know. So what is our bait, though? Someone say before. Someone say how, and someone say now. Before how, now is our bait. This was what I was like before Jesus came into my life. This is how I was changed, and this is how I am now. See, before I came from a broken home of parents who were divorced, parents who were struggling and a lot of anger and anxiety in my household. Before I came from a house who didn't, you know, wasn't all together, and I was, we saw parties in my house and all kind of other stuff. And that's what I was like before I was angry, in and out of jail. I was willing to fight anybody. I was cussing everybody out, and I was a horrible person. I just didn't like the world. I was angry at everybody. That's what I was like before. I wasn't always Mr. DJ. Woohoo! I was ready to swing on you real quick. I always wear a tie now. I take it off if I need to. That's under the blood. Forgive us. 
That's what I was like before. Well, how was I changed? One day I poured my heart out on the altar and I was crying tears. And I said, God, I'm a sinner. I'm broken and I really don't have nothing to offer you. I'm nothing good. I don't have a pedigree. I don't come from a really good family. But this is all I have. And God forgave me of my sins. I went down in the name of Jesus Christ in the baptistry. And all my sins were washed away. And I received the gift of the Holy Ghost by evidence of speaking in tongues. That is how God changed me. And that first person I got to baptize was my oldest sister. And now look at me. I'm involved in ministry. Now look at me. I'm going to get married to Natalie Warren. We're going to have a successful marriage. We're not going to end in divorce. Now look at me. I'm living for God. I don't get angry like I used to get angry. I don't go the places I used to go. Before I was this way, this is how it happened, and now I am this way. That is the bait, and that's what we must go and tell the world. Before, how, and now. Let's not overcomplicate it. Let's not overcomplicate it. Brother John's already put the dimahaka on the hookahaka, whatever that is. He already did it. Bring them to church and Brother John's and Brother Jury will straighten them out. All we got to do is tell them before, how, and now. Before I was addicted to drugs, God saved me. God took all the urges away, right, Sister Kim? And now look at me. Me and my husband and my son are in church. We're involved in ministry. Before, how, and now. That is the bait. And you already feel it right now. You're like, man, I'm excited. Now imagine what someone on the side of the road that feels no hope, that hates the way they see themselves in the mirror every day, that's destroying their life, that's been taken advantage of. Imagine what they would feel like if you threw that bait to them. Just like you just been, you're like, man, I'm excited. Now I'm geared up, ready to go. Imagine what they would feel like when they see, oh, you're not just this pristine person that's always been in church, Mr. Goody Two-Shoes, but you came from a broken home. You came to the same altar that I'm going to come to at Atlanta West Pentecostal Church, and now look at you. Wow. Someone say, wow. wow. That's what Brother Foster always says, and he says, say it backwards, wow. <laughs> Before, how, and now. That is our bait. That's what we must do. Acts 1.8 says, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses. If you have the Holy Ghost, you are called. And the Bible says that you have power to be a witness. You have power to fulfill the great commission. Well, what is a witness? It's someone who tells others what they have seen or heard. So you don't have to overcomplicate it. You don't have to go to the order of Melchizedek. You don't have to go to the images of the Revelation. Let's stay away from that right now. Let them read their Fruit Loops box, and let's just get simple. Before, how, and now. This is what the bait is, and this is what God is commanding us to go out and be witnesses about. There are only three references in the New Testament to those who are evangelists, meaning they have a special gift of evangelism. However, Scripture contains over 120 references to the broader commission to all members of the church, all to preach the gospel and to make disciples. See, we love Romans 8, 28. All things work together for the good. And we say, man, all things. That means not 99%, not 95%, but all things. But when it says all are called to go and make disciples, oh, that's a different word for all. No, it's the same one. And we're all called. To tell people the before, the how, and the now. See, in these three passages from Mark and John and Matthew that we read about the oikos, it was a demon-possessed man, it was Philip, and it was Cornelius. All three of these individuals' lives were changed by Jesus Christ, and they became witnesses 
to their oikos. For instance, the demon-possessed man, before he was possessed, acting crazy and cutting himself and being weird and crazy, he was probably reading that Fruit Loop box I was telling you about earlier. And then Jesus healed him, and he went, and this is how he was changed. Jesus said, no, get out of him, and the demons left. And now he is no longer possessed. He became a follower of Jesus, and now he became the town preacher that proclaimed God's praises. It's the before, the how, and the now. Paul had the same thing. If you look at Paul's ministry, he always said, before I was this way, I persecuted the church. I persecuted God's family. This is how I was changed. And now this is what my life is like. Being a fisherman is not about a church program. It's a process. The process is for all of us to go to our oikos and to fish. The bait is the before, the how, and the now. And the result is that they might be saved. There was a study done to find out how people got into a relationship with Jesus and started attending their church. From a special need that they had was 1% to 2%. From just walking in was 2 to 3%. From a pastor inviting them was 5 to 6 From visitation was 1 to 2 From Sunday school, some kind of Sunday school program was 4 to 5%. An evangelistic crusade or a TV show was half a percent. Church program, like a musical or something, was 2 to 3%. But a friend or a relative was over 75%. Because when you have an oikos, they trust you. You're already in close proximity. You know the lake. You know the fishing patterns. You know all that. And so all you have to do is go fishing. Someone say, it's time to go fishing. As Brother Stan Gleason says, we must turn sinners into friends and friends into disciples. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. We must get a holy boldness. We must become unashamed and start telling people the before, the how, and the now so that one day they can tell someone the before, the how, and the now. That is how the church grows and that is how we fulfill our mission. The people in your circle are depending on you and the people in my circle are depending on me to give them the only answer, which is Jesus Christ. September 11, 2001, at 8.46 a.m., American Airlines Flight 11 crashed into the North Tower, the World Trade Center. And at 9.03 a.m., the United Flight 175 crashed into the South Tower of the World Trade Center. 9.37 a.m., American Airlines Flight 77 crashed into the Pentagon. United Airlines Flight 93 was headed to crash either into the U.S. Capitol building or into the White House. But at 10.03 a.m., the plane crashed into a field in Pennsylvania. Well, why did United Airlines Flight 93 not crash into a building like the terrorists intended it to? The answer happened on August 4, 2001, just a few weeks before that horrific terrorist attack. Jose Melendez Perez, a customs officer, was working in the Orlando International Airport. Mohamed Al-Kahante Katani landed there with $2,800 in cash, no credit cards, no return flight, and no hotel reservations. The FBI later learned that Mohamed Atta the plot leader and pilot from American Flight 11 that flew into the North Tower was there at the airport to pick up the other terrorists. Jose didn't let Mohammed al-Qahtani through customs because he had a scary look in his eyes. Mohammed al-Qahtani 
was supposed to be the fifth hijacker on United Flight 93 that never made it to the U.S. Capitol building or to the White House. When these terrorists train, they plan to have five hijackers per flight. The passengers fought back on the plane that only had four hijackers on it. The four weren't prepared to fulfill the mission because Mohammed Al-Qahatani was not there to assist them. Because he, wasn't, because he wasn't allowed through customs in Orlando, he had to fly back home. During the Battle of Tora Bora, American troops captured a man that would later be identified as Mohammed Al-Qahatani. They have been interrogating him, and in June 2005, the Pentagon released that he provided vital intelligence, like identifying Abu Ahmad al-Kawata, the courier for Osama bin Laden. Jose Melendez Perez was not a super cop. He wasn't a superhero. There was nothing really special about him. He was a customs officer working at an airport. But something so small Something seemingly so insignificant made such a huge deal on U.S. history. This little thing that he did by not letting this one terrorist in that they didn't know was a terrorist yet caused that plane never to crash into the U.S. Capitol building or the White House. And since that terrorist was still alive, they later found him, tracked him down. He started to give al-Qaeda leaders names, and then they could trace it back. And he was one of the guys who played a part in finding Osama bin Laden. Why? That's just something so small, something so insignificant, but it makes a huge difference. Now, I've come to let you know that your story matters. Your before, how, and now matters to someone in your oikos, someone in your circle of friends, someone in your sphere of influence is depending on you to let them know how Jesus Christ has changed your life. And you might think it's insignificant to share coffee with them. You might think it's insignificant to turn a sinner into a friend and to talk to that gas station representative every time you go and get gas. You might think it's insignificant to share the love of Jesus, that these Bible studies aren't working, that loving this person isn't working, that helping this person isn't working. But what I've come to let you know is just like Jose Melendez Perez, that little thing can make a big difference. That person that's on the side of the road, that good Samaritan helping them has changed that man's life and saved that man's life. And there's someone on the road of your life. There's someone on the road of my life that is depending on us. There's someone in our oikos that's saying, when are you going to reach me? You think it's a small thing, but it's such a big thing. It's something that makes the world of difference. Sister Carol, would you come here? October 2017, she came to Georgia to live with her daughter because she felt a pulling to come. December 12, 2017, she was arrested due to a dispute. She was released. She no longer had a place to live, and she met Jonathan Sechek. Love you, bro. You're a soul winner. He was doing an anger management class at the jail. Jonathan approached her and told her about Jesus. He was a good Samaritan. He didn't just walk by. He had a ministry. He had other things to do, but he saw there was a need. She's my neighbor, and it's time to go fishing. He helped her financially to get a hotel and some food. He then invited her to Atlanta West Pentecostal Church. She came on that following Wednesday night and was baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of her sins. 
came back that next Wednesday and she received the gift of the Holy Ghost. Don't you remember that first time you spoke in tongues as the Spirit gave you the ability? Oh, God. Satan has shown her love, invested in her. She said, I have fallen in love with the presence of God that I feel at Atlanta West Pentecostal Church. I now know Jesus was the real reason I was getting pulled to Georgia. We could talk about fishing. We could talk about the souls that need us. Or we can see a carol. You should have saw her when that song that was playing earlier, she raised both hands. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. Oh, my soul, Christ, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. But you know how awesome that is? There's a carol in your life. And there's a carol in my life. You can be seated. Thank you. And it's time to go fishing. There's a carol somewhere on the side of the road in our life dying. Broken. No family needing Jesus. We can have our fishing pole and we can look all good or we can really cast it and say it's time to go fishing. Close your eyes right now. Let that sink in. Think of who is the carol in your life. It's simple. Before I was this way. How did my life get changed? And now this is what it is like. That's the bait. And the fish that we're trying to catch is our oikos. That's the people in our circle of influence. Who's in your circle? Who is the carol in your life? And the goal is to lead them to a saving relationship with Jesus Christ and develop them to be fully devoted followers of him. Would you please stand? church the elders had it right that God can come back at any moment that at any moment when he decides it's time he's coming back and I don't want to look back as I'm on my way to heaven worshiping on my way to the pearly gates and I see that that guy and I'm not the Samaritan I see him laying on the road and I, I have to think why did I not reach him? Why did I not just say before how and how to him? If you're tired of just talking about fishing, if you're tired of just looking the park, if you're tired of just hanging around the fishing pond, and you're ready for this church to blow up with how many souls come, more than the concert, more than just a preacher saying something. But I remember what Eli Hernandez said. He said 3,000. Oh, I want to be a part of that because it's time to go fishing. I want James Blake and Chip to be sitting next to me saying, what does that mean? Why do you raise your hands? Well, James, it's because we're surrendered. I want another disciple. I want to win a soul. Who's going to join me? Who's going to make up their mind today? It's enough of the talk, but now it's time to go fishing. Ray knew was a fisherman. And look what happened. 
Grace and Gail received the gift of the Holy Ghost and was baptized this past Sunday because he was a fisherman and he's in heaven right now and he can look back and say, I didn't just leave that person on the side of the road. I made an impact. And they're going to be in heaven one day saying, thank you for telling me the before, the how, and the now. Would you join me at this altar right now? Would you make your way to this altar? We're going to make a commitment that it's time to go fishing. I'm going to share my story because my story matters. It might seem insignificant to me. It might seem insignificant to some, but it can change history forever. Just like Jose Melendez Perez did. If we just share our story, if we just do all that we can do, then the world will be changed in someone's life. Can you close your eyes? Can you raise your hands and let's pray for forgiveness, for selfishness, for leaving that person on the side of the road? And can we pray for a boldness, for an apostolic unashamedness to go out and reach the world because it's time to go fishing? That's it. God has been so good to me. I have to share it with other people. I can't be selfish. I can't keep talking about fishing. You're not a fisherman if you don't fish. So today, we're going to become even greater fishermen. God, give me wisdom. God, give me divine appointments. Help me to meet the right people, to say the right things, to lead people to a saving relationship with you and develop them to be fully devoted followers of you. Help me to invest in relationships, to invite people to church and to intercede in prayer. God, you're coming back. And I don't know when you're coming back. So every day, I'm going to work as hard as I can. I'm going to fish every day because I want to win souls. I want to make disciples, God. Come on, let that be your prayer. We have a few moments in this altar. Come on, let's get honest with God. God, help me to be a better fisherman. This church is incredible. We have the best volunteers. We're so talented. We do so many things right. We have incredible ministries and outreaches. Help us to do better and better every day. Help us to get even more serious about the mission than we already are, God. Help us to have the mindset of eternity. you in a moment who is in your circle 
See their face. See their need. See their brokenness. See them laying on the side of the road of eternity, just asking for someone to lead them to Jesus Christ. Who is in your circle? Who's in my circle? I want you to tell that to a neighbor, to someone standing next to you. I want you to tell them their name. Speak it out loud. Go ahead right now. Who's in your circle? Tell them a name. That's it. Who's in your circle? We gotta, we gotta be honest. We gotta vent it. It can't be just something that we hold in private. We gotta be accountable. And now that we spoke it, other people know. We gotta do it. Change the blanket ship. I'm hard. I'm working hard. I'm trying. I might not have all the answers. I don't have it all together, but who does? But what I can tell them is before, how and now. And it's working. We've been meeting. We've been talking about Jesus. He came to Doan that day. It was incredible. And I want to see him come more and more. Because it's before, how, now. I want you to raise your hands right now. I want you to call that person's name to Jesus and say, God, give me the influence. Give me the wisdom. Make me accountable to somebody that they're in my circle. So who is my disciple? Who am I going to fish after? Who am I going to win to you? Who am I leading to a saving relationship with you and developing? Who am I discipling? Who am I developing? Come on, let that be a cry just for one moment. Come on, God, I want to win James so bad. Help me to be more serious. Help me not to be so caught up in the here and now and what's going on in sports and all this stuff without thinking about James, without thinking about his eternal destination. God, help me to be more focused. Help me to, Lord God, be more confident, more unashamed. Help me to be more bold. God, soften his heart to hear your word. Jesus, help us all right now. Bless our church to do even better at fulfilling our mission. Help us not to just get comfortable with looking like fishermen and having this great facility, but let us go and tell the world that you love them.